Welcome to Bite-Size Battles. Attila the Hun, Part 2 By this time, it's better to think of the Huns as an empire, rather than only as a group of nomadic warriors constantly on the move, sowing terror wherever they went. Many of the groups they had encountered in their long march westwards had simply run west before them, not fancying being either destroyed or subjugated. But there were many other groups who had chosen to remain and pledged themselves to Attila. So, when the Huns and their vassals massed on the River Rhine, a Gallic poet called Sidonius Apollinaris described the scene. Suddenly, the barbarian world, rent by a mighty upheaval, poured the whole north into Gaul. After the warlike Rugian comes the fierce Gepid, with the Galonian close by. The Burgundian urges on the Scyrian. Forward rush the Hun, the Bellonotian, the Nurian, the Bastanian, the Thuringian, the Bructuran, and the Frank. While we know some of these groups had nothing to do with the Huns, and that Sidonius included them, because he needed names of the right length to make his poetry work, the essence of what he was portraying was dead right. Huge numbers of multiple groups subject to the Huns joined Attila in a massive invasion of Gaul. They thrust quickly into the heart of the country, capturing Metz and the old imperial capital of Trier, besieging Orléans and even, according to some sources, Paris. They went on a looting spree to match the devastation wrought by the original Rhine invaders in 406. The Roman response came fast and hard. By this time, the political chaos had been ended by a man who has been called the last true Roman of the West, Flavius Aetius. He is generally recognised as one of the greatest Roman military commanders ever, and had he lived earlier in the Roman Empire, it is doubtless that he would be as well known as Julius Caesar, Mark Antony or Pompey the Great. Aetius had spent the 420s and 30s putting Gaul and Spain back in order, following trouble from Visigoths, Suevi, Franks and others and he had even brought the Visigoths back into alliance with him under their new king, Theodoric. He was about to need them. Aetius marched into Gaul to face the Huns with every man he could muster. The Roman armies of both Italy and Gaul marched with him, and to them he added a coalition which included the remains of the old Romano-British field forces, Theodoric's Visigoths, and a large allied force of Alans. The Roman historian Jordanes also tells us that he was able to bring along Franks, Sarmatians, Armoricans, Burgundians and Saxons. All of these groups preferred Roman existence to Hunnic destruction, and now this multi-nation Roman coalition prepared to take on Attila the Hun's horde, also made up of many different peoples. It was set to be a cataclysmic clash of epic proportions. By the time it had ended, 
Hydatius tells us that 300,000 were dead. Jordanes puts the figure at a slightly more believable, but still implausible, 165,000. Modern historians estimate that each army was probably putting around 40 to 50,000 men in the field, so possibly 100,000 faced each other in total, with the death toll unknown. Whatever the exact figure, all sources agree on the singular point that this battle was gargantuan in scale and ultimately was a bloodbath. They met at a place called the Catalonian Fields, probably somewhere in the modern Champagne region of France. Jordanes describes for us that the battlefield was a plain rising up by a sharp slope to a ridge, which both armies sought to gain. The Huns and their forces seized the right, the Romans, Visigoths and allies, the left. The Huns knew from experience that the Romans would place their heavy infantry in the centre, with lighter infantry and cavalry on the wings. So he put his own Huns in his centre to pin down the Roman heavy infantry with their disorganised horse and bow style of warfare, allowing the bulk of his forces to break the wings and then envelop the Roman centre. But Aetius now showed his cunning brilliance. He was well acquainted with the Huns' tactics, and, knowing that Attila understood the textbook Roman battle formations as well as he did, he broke with them altogether. In short, he second-guessed Attila superbly. Aetius filled the Roman centre not with heavy infantry, but with Alans, also superbly skilled mounted bowmen who could now go toe-to-toe with the Huns. The Visigoths took the right, and the Romans themselves the left. By all accounts, it was a vicious struggle of hideous hand-to-hand combat, with both sides vying for control of the ridge. You can imagine the scene of bloodied men grunting as they hacked at each other, arrows flying unseen but heard as whistles of death, horses screaming, the sounds of iron cleaving flesh and bone. Jordan says the fight grew fierce, confused, monstrous, unrelenting. A fight whose like no ancient time has ever recorded. A brook flowing between low banks was swollen by a strange stream and turned into a torrent by the flow of blood. Those whose wounds drove them to slake their parching thirst drank water mingled with gore. What happened next isn't exactly clear, but the overall picture is that the Alans pinned the Huns in place while the Visigoths pushed back their opponents on the opposite wing, a group called the Amals. The Visigothic king was killed here after falling from his horse, but his son, Thorismund, continued pushing forward relentlessly. Eventually, he spotted Attila's own household guards and fell on them with fury. With the heavy Roman infantry on the left, also now surging forward, Attila retreated to his camp 
which he had fortified with a wagon circle. By now, night had fallen and men spent uneasy hours in the pitch blackness, surrounded by corpses and the groans of the wounded. By the time dawn broke on the scene of carnage, it was clear that while both sides had been utterly savaged, the Hunnic forces had come off worst. Attila was distraught, and even began piling saddles into a great heap as a funeral pyre. But his supporters encouraged him to retreat, which he finally agreed to. Aetius and his grand alliance had won a resounding victory, but at terrible cost. Still, the empire had been saved in the nick of time, again. Despite attempting two more invasions of the empire the following year, a combination of continued Roman success, poor logistics and the ravages of plague meant Attila had to eventually withdraw altogether back to the Hungarian plains. Just two years after the Catalonian fields, on his wedding night to one of several wives in 453, Attila burst a blood vessel and died. Jordan says, In the secrecy of night they buried his body in the earth and bound his coffins in gold, silver and iron. They added the arms of foemen won in the fight, trappings of rare worth sparkling with various gems and ornaments of all sorts. And then they slew those appointed to the work. Without Attila's talismanic influence, the Hunnic Empire collapsed by 459. Its calamitous effects on the Roman world would be long-lasting. First, their rise and move westwards caused the initial domino effect which had caused massive armed immigration into the Western Empire by Goths, Vandals, Alans, Suevi and others, with all the knock-on effects that would have. Secondly, while the Hunnic invasions of Thrace and Gaul were devastating in their own rights, their true calamitous catastrophe was that they had prevented the Roman Empire from acting against an even bigger threat to its survival. We have mentioned several times through this series the critical importance of the revenue-producing regions of North Africa, particularly Carthage and the provinces of Proconsularis, Numidia and Byzacena. No other region of the empire contributed more money or more grain to the coffers of state, and it was vital in keeping the army paid and the people fed. But, just shortly before the Huns had begun their Roman adventures, the Vandals had surged out of Spain, crossed into North Africa, and taken Carthage with all her richest provinces for themselves. Join us next time for the penultimate episode in this Fall of Rome series. Vandals and the loss of North Africa. Thanks for listening. See you then.